0: Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 3.
1: Hello, America. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. Glad to have you with me. The phone number, 877-973-7425, should you wish to be on this program. Those of you listening on WDBO in Orlando, Florida, glad to have you with me. Uh, it's a pleasure being live with you now noon to three in Orlando. And I want you to know, I'm going to be there on Friday in studio. If you go to wdbo.com, uh, in the sections tab, click on more and then contests. And you may be able to come sit with me live. There will be food. We'll have lunch. Uh, and you can watch me do my show live in Orlando on Friday. Uh, that's going to be fun as we start doing this more and more around the country as we keep growing around the country. Now I got to, Got to finagle um, one day having enough money so I don't have to go to Delta to do these flights. <laughs> one day, one day we'll get there. Okay. Uh, we got other stuff to go on there. There is a final plot twist in 2022's campaign season. Everybody has been waiting for the October surprises. The October surprises are uh, the, the term of phrase for that thing that happens at the very end of the election, right before the undecided voters make up their mind. Let's step back just a little bit so you can understand this phenomenon a little more. Uh, just as, as someone who has uh, done political campaigns, taught it, um, speak on it, know it, uh, there is a pool of voter the undecided independent voter. That voter makes up her mind towards the end of the election. And I say her because overwhelmingly it is women. I know there are lots of jokes, even among political consultants about indecisive women. uh, But really what it is, is there is a class of, and, and listen, you need to listen to me on this one. This one's true. You need to listen here. Partisans get very frustrated by women at the end of the campaign season who cannot make up their mind. And there are lots of jokes about indecisive women and things like that, but you need to understand what's going on with these women. As someone who has focus grouped them, interviewed them, here's what's going on. They want to get it right. Right. The undecided independent voter is someone who wants to vote right on the issues. They wanna get the right person. They wanna make sure they're doing good for the country. They don't give a crap about your party. They don't care about your candidate. They wanna get it right on the issues. They wanna get it right for the state of the country. They wanna get it right on the future. They tend to be white, they tend to have bachelor's degrees, they tend to have kids, they tend to live in the suburbs, they tend to be upper middle class, and they tend to hate all the parties and all the candidates and they're deeply frustrated about the future and they're voting on the issues that matter to them. If you understand that, You can be persuasive to them instead of belittling to them. There are men in this pool, and they fit the same demographic. They tend to be white. They tend to be upper middle class. They tend to live in suburbia. They tend to be married with kids. They don't care about your party. They don't care about your candidate. They are way more interested in the sports page than the front page. They happen to be listeners to this program, you should know, demographically. They have to be listeners to this program. They don't care about party concerns. They don't care about which party controls Congress or which party controls the White House. They care about the issues. They care about the policies. They deeply wish there was somewhere they could go and find out where people truly stand on issues as opposed to the partisan spin. And they do research. I know many of you, you can't believe these people exist. You're like, can't you understand Joe Biden caused the problems? But because you say that, because I say that, they're more skeptical of it because they're skeptical of the political rhetoric of the age. Here's something else you need to know about these undecided independent voters. They all make up their mind in about the last two to three weeks of the election. And collectively, nationwide, they all tend to break the exact same way and they all tend to break more predictably than they wish you thought of them. The party in control is who they vote against. So, these people are probably going to vote Republican. They will be persuaded by the movement of the news in the last three weeks. That's why partisans on both sides tend to deploy their final dirty trick a few weeks out from the election. With the Democrats, it was the Herschel Walker abortion stuff. But there's a plot twist. The final midterm election surprise comes tomorrow. And it's not even a surprise. Everybody knows what's going to happen. And it's still going to be shocking. Do you know what it is? Do you have a sense of it? It's a big deal. It's going to directly impact you. It's going to hurt you. It's why these independent, undecided voters are going to break Republican at the last minute. The Federal Reserve is going to raise interest rates another three quarters of a percentage point. We all know it's coming. We all see it coming. We're all prepared for it. And it's happening. The markets today, it is Halloween. It is Reformation Day. The Dow is down 54 points. The NASDAQ is down 87 points. The S&P 500 is down 20 points. They're getting ready for what's coming tomorrow. And what comes tomorrow with an increase in interest rates is an increase in your line of credit on your home. If you're in an adjustable mortgage, which God help you, if you are, it's going to go up. Your credit card bill is going to go up. If you're buying a new car, it's going to become more expensive. If you're buying a home, it's going to become more expensive. Mortgage rates are going to go up. Everything is going to go up. It's going to harm the economy. Now, there's good news on the horizon. More and more people are expecting that the Fed is going to wind down their interest rates and that they will signal to the markets that there will be one more interest rate hike in December, and maybe that'll be it. We know a recession is coming. We know it's going to impact things. But this is the final twist. This is from Bloomberg News. Democrats' prospects for holding on to Congress are fading a week before the election as voters focus on economic concerns rather than the rollback of abortion rights, bolstering Republicans. Inflation is still high, and a recession is a near certainty. Gasoline prices dipped but remain costlier than average, and Democratic and independent outrage over abortion rights isn't strong enough to overshadow that. Combine those factors with weak performances by Democrats in key debates and strategic messaging from Republicans. And it's looking like President Joe Biden is facing a similar shellacking that Barack Obama endured in his first midterm election in 2010. You probably won't have a 2010 type thing. There aren't as many competitive races, but that doesn't mean it won't be a big day for the Republicans, said Doug Sosnick, who was an advisor to Bill Clinton. Sosnick said the dynamics of the election shifted in the last 20 days. There were sets of numbers that came out in September, which showed that we're probably headed for a much more difficult period coming up. Interest rates kept going up, and so the economic conditions started rolling backwards. Republicans have pounced on the negative economic data, with inflation running at levels not seen since the early 1980s. At the same time, there are signs the Democrats have wrung out all the angst they could over abortion since Labor Day. Slightly more than one of every five Republican ads mentioned inflation. Democrats touch on the issue as fewer than one in 20 ads. Democrats mentioned abortion in 44% of their ads. Republicans only mentioned it in 3% of their ads. Republicans have spent at least $72 million on ads attacking Nancy Pelosi more than they've spent on abortion, COVID, or guns. Democrats' problems were compounded in recent weeks by underwhelming debate performances by U.S. Senator Raphael Warnock and John Fetterman, candidates in Georgia and Pennsylvania. This is a problem. Inflation and interest rates are deeply persuasive to voters. Now, here's a problem that this sets Republicans up for, we should be honest with. There's not a lot they can do. Really, a recession is going to have more impact than anything Republicans do in Congress. But Republicans can get spending under control. The only time Republicans ever care about spending is when a Democrat is the one in the White House spending the money. Then Republicans take the budget seriously. Believe it or not, actually, uh, Bill Clinton and Newt Gingrich were able to get a uh, get a deal. In the 1990s, that was good for the public and uh, amounted to a balanced budget. After 2010, Republicans were able to get sequestration in Congress, and that made real-world cuts. A lot of conservatives has characterized it as cuts to the future growth of spending, but that wasn't it at all. Sequestration uh, amounted to actual real current cuts in spending. They're going to have to go back to stuff like that. They're going to have to do something. There's only so much they can do, though, because they don't control the executive branch, and they won't have enough to override vetoes. Regardless of how this plays out, no one, Democrat or Republican, expects the GOP uh, to get enough to override a veto. In fact, when you look at all the seats in the Senate up for grabs, there's just no way for the GOP mathematically to get to a two-thirds control of the Senate. They might be able to get to 55 seats. The odds are 52 or 53 at this point. The odds are Republicans pick up uh, Georgia and Nevada and hold Pennsylvania and don't pick up Arizona, but Blake Masters is surging ahead there. And the early vote for Democrats in Arizona doesn't look good. So it's possible they get to 53. It's very possible they get to 53. And in particular, if the pollsters are making the same mistakes they've made in 2018 and 2020, and they're overcounting Democrats and undercounting people likely to vote Republican, including younger black men. Well, then it's going to be a devastating 2010-style election. The Republicans picked up 64 seats in 2010. No one's really expecting that right now, but 35 or 40, if things keep going as bad as they're going, it becomes very probable. So, too, does the 53-seat Senate majority for the GOP. And the final twist is interest rates. And those interest rates come out tomorrow tomorrow. The Federal Reserve meets tomorrow. We will have a hint no later than Wednesday afternoon of the way things are and the way things are going with the Federal Reserve a week before the election. Time to process that. Time to check in on your 401K. Time to check in on your mortgage when you're interested in buying a house. Time to check in on your car when you want to buy a car. These things matter. Don't underestimate this. These sorts of things matter greatly. And for independent voters... Who tend to be white and married with kids who live in the suburbs and care about the issues, interest rates going up matters to them greatly. The future recession and their 401k matters greatly. These people are not people generally persuaded on cultural issues. They lean to the left already on abortion, but they're economic voters independent undecided late breaking voters are economic voters and when the late breaking economic news is bad they're going to break even further to the right the polling already shows they're breaking to the right right now they tend to do it as a herd even though they triumph and pat themselves on the back as independent thinkers they tend to be part of a similar herd similarly situated around the country they all go in the same direction they're going in the gop direction right now slowly interest rates going up tomorrow will push them further over the edge that's really bad news in the closing days of the midterms for the Democrats. I want to tell you guys a little about a group I've been working with, Americans for Prosperity. Maybe you've heard of them. They're the largest grassroots network in the country, fighting to expand freedom and opportunity so that we can unleash prosperity in America again. Here's what I like about Americans for Prosperity. They focus on building movements at the community level, not Washington, D.C. That's actually how I first came to know them in Georgia, helping rise up the Tea Party movement in 2010. They understand we're not going to find solutions in Washington, we got to take power out of Washington. That's going to have to come from Americans like you outside the Beltway bubble. That's why I'm excited to partner with Americans for Prosperity to provide an effective platform where we can talk to our fellow Americans and advocate for solutions to the most critical challenges facing the country. I encourage you to learn more about Americans for Prosperity by going to americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877 973 7425 let's go back to the phones. Brad, you're going to be up next. Welcome.
0: Thank you, Eric, for having me. Um, Hope you're having a wonderful afternoon. I am. Hope you are, too. I'm doing great so far. My question for you, though, Eric, is, and, and I kind of heard a little bit of what you were just talking about, but say, you know, and assume that the Republicans do take the House and the Senate Uh, Right now, what are some things that they can do in the short term, in the immediate to kind of relieve some of this inflation and and things that are going on in the economy, you know, because a a huge result of our inflationary issues stemmed from things being shut down and and supply being dwindled. You know, I've got a, a 10 month old baby. I went through this formula shortage, you know, and and we just don't have the manufacturing capabilities to bring the supply up enough to reduce the cost of things.
1: Yeah, you know, look, that's a great question. And, you know, I think a lot of people are going to be disappointed uh, by what Republicans can and cannot do. And it's not really going to be them so much as the nature of the system and the design of the system. What they can do, however, is they can fight Biden on spending if they start pulling money back out of the budget that Democrats allocated, that helps actually, that begins to help. um, Because the primary spark for inflation was the massive stimulus program Democrats uh, built and a lot of their money was accounted for in the markets, even though it's not paid out immediately, it's paid out over time that begins to roll things uh, down and uh, makes inflation less of a problem. That with the interest rate hikes as well. So that's about the best thing they can do. The other thing that the Republicans can do is they can start asking tough questions of the Biden administration and investigating some of their thinking, not just investigating scandals and things, but investigate the actual thinking of the Biden administration. And in particular, uh, Janet Yellen, my suspicion is that the day after the election, Janet Yellen quits, resigns, or is fired. I think she wants out. The word on the street in Washington is she wanted to be out yesterday, and they've made her hold on till the election. I suspect we're going to see Janet Yellen run as far away as she can. Uh, back to the phones, Tad, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the show. Oh, uh, hey. Hi.
0: Yeah, uh, just easy one, but uh, how fast is the, well, I mean, we know the recession's not going to be over anytime soon, but how do we carry through to 2024 and not lose everything again?
1: Oh, how do we carry through to 2024 and not lose everything all over again? That's a good question. Um, Here's what I think. Um, I think that if Republicans began to gravitate in the next year or so around the single candidate, and I actually think that's more likely than not, uh, a non-Trump Republican, what happens is the Democrats – begin their crack up because here's what's going to happen. Joe Biden if the Republican win is as big as it's looking like it could be he's going to have to pivot he's going to have to pivot to the middle if he wants to hang on otherwise he's going to be alienated. He's going to be alienated from the left. He's going to be alienated from the right. He's going to be alienated across the board uh, with a lot of voters who decided they wanted the Republicans because the Democrats had gone too far left. If Biden doesn't pivot to the right, if he stays on the far left, the Republicans block him and they characterize him as too far left. That not a return to normalcy like he had promised. That's going to hold him up. You're probably going to see some purges from the White House as well. Either way, if Biden holds on as a moderate, as a progressive, or he tries to pivot to be more moderate, that's going to cause a civil war within the Democratic side. The Republicans hold on and they pick a candidate, they consolidate early, the donors and the grassroots go in the same direction. It gives a remarkable advantage, remarkable advantage to the Republicans headed into 2024 over the next two years. It paints a stunning contrast. And then frankly, if Biden decides he can't run again, and that's more likely than not, that breaks the Democrats out into a civil war on their left and their moderate left flanks. While the GOP consolidates the position, that's most likely to happen. The holidays are the most exciting time of year, and if you want to enjoy them to the fullest, you need to get the best night's sleep every single night, particularly before your kids wake you up early during the holidays. My goodness gracious, it's easier than it sounds, though. You need the softest, most luxurious organic cotton sheets from Bowling Branch, Their sheets are made from the finest 100% organic cotton threads on earth. They make a difference. You can truly feel night after night. Forget the script that they gave me to read. Y'all, let me just tell you. and Branch, I sleep on their sheets, and they get softer every single time I wash them. They are so soft at this point. Like, they start out, and they're fine. They're good sheets. You can tell they've got a nice weight to them. They've got a good thread count. The quality of the fabric is, is very nice. But the more you wash them, the more you realize how good they are because they get softer, but they don't fray. That makes a real difference. I can tell you, I sleep on and Branch sheets. I bought them myself even. They didn't send them to me as an advertiser. I actually bought them. We've been buying them for a while. They're towels and other things as well. But their signature sheets, they come wrapped and ready in a beautiful holiday gift box for you. Your gifts are going to look great. You can give these sheets to people you love. Bring home a better night's sleep this holiday season with and Branch Bedding. For a limited time, 20% off your first set of sheets and free shipping when you use promo code Eric, E-R-I-C-K, at BolandBranch.com. That's BolandBranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D Branch.com. Promo code Eric, BolandBranch.com. Hello, welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. Glad to have you with me. A reminder, if you're in the Orlando area and want to hang out with me on Friday, go to WDBO.com, look on the contest page. You'll be able to find how to make that happen. Lunch will be served. Uh, I want to switch gears. I want to talk about something non-political, although it has become kind of political. Now, I realize there are two things in life you're never supposed to talk about, religion and politics. And I talk about them both. And I want to talk about one. And I don't mean to offend any of you. I don't don't want to offend any of you. I want you just to, to hear me out on this, please, regardless of where you sit on the issue. You may you may be an atheist and you may sit on the sidelines. You 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 what where you may be an agnostic. I don't care. Will you just please listen to me for just a few moments, please? To timestamp this for me talking about this, today is Halloween. Today is October 31st. I had to go buy candy this weekend. I had totally forgotten to buy the candy. I was kind of surprised at uh, Walmart selection. It wasn't that good. I normally go to Target when they sell the really big bags in Walmart. And it wasn't that they had just sold out. They had plenty. They they were all small bags. And maybe that's happening everywhere. I don't know anyway. It's Halloween. Many kids will be going trick-or-treating this evening. If you are listening to me, And it is Halloween when you're listening to me. Be mindful of kids out trick-or-treating as you're driving home this evening. Be mindful of kids out in the road. Just be careful. But I'm not talking to you about Halloween. 505 years ago today, a Catholic priest named Martin Luther nailed 95 theses to the door of the church, in Wittenberg, Germany. This was how, at the time, debates were started. This has been misunderstood over time historically. This is how debates started. If you wanted to discuss things, you nailed them to the door of the church, and you began your discussion. Luther had not really uh, set out to be a um, priest, but he became one. He was also a beer brewer. You know, when uh, the Bible says uh, drunkenness is a sin, Luther interpreted it is, as long as you can stand up and speak coherently, you weren't drunk, so therefore it wasn't a sin. On the 2nd of July, 1505, Martin Luther was headed back to his university where he was studying on horseback and a lightning bolt struck him during a thunderstorm. He was so terrified of death and divine judgment, he cried out to Saint Anna, help me, I will become a monk. And he did, he left the university, he sold all of his books. He entered Saint Augustine's Monastery in Erfurt on July 17th, 1505. You know, the, the cool thing here, like we talk about ancient times, this is rather uh, like classical modern history. It, it it happened in what we consider modern times to a degree. Uh, and we have all this document, uh, more middle ages, honestly, but it, we have all this stuff. And Luther became convinced over time that his church, everybody, every every Christian in the West By this time, everybody was Catholic. Everybody was Catholic. There have been little murmurs and surfacings of, of Christians who didn't consider themselves to be Catholic anymore, but they were few and far between. Luther went up to the door at All Saints Church in Wittenberg and nailed his 95 theses to the door and he had a list of things he thought needed to be debated. One of those was Luther believed in the idea of salvation by faith alone. He did not believe our good works could get us into heaven. And it has become kind of the defining characteristic of the Protestant Reformation. Uh, that our salvation comes through through grace alone, by faith alone, that God himself gives it to us. If mercy is sparing us from what we deserve, grace is giving us what we do not deserve. All of our wills are bound to sin, and God gives us sh- grace, and through that grace, gives us eternal life with him if we put our faith in christ and it is by that faith in christ that we have salvation it is a profoundly revolutionary idea which today seems kind of commonplace particularly here in the west where predominantly here i am in the south southern baptists are the largest protestant denomination in the united states i grew up southern baptist i'm in a pca presbyterian church now and it's just uh, kind of run the mill and if you're a presbyterian if you're reformed you're Calvinist by and large, and you have the tulips and total depravity. We we're all fallen, and only through God's grace can can we be saved. There, there are free will Baptists who believe we choose. There are those of us who are Calvinists who believe God chooses us, the elect, before time began. We all rely on the, the, the passage of Scripture that Christ is knocking at the door, and the Baptists say, the free will people say, well, we got to open the door to let him get in. And those of us who are Reformed say, well, Christ chose our door to knock on. We're looking at the same thing through two different angles, a roof, one from one side, one from the other. It still makes a roof. But Luther set it all off 505 years ago today, his 95 Theses. Now we can quibble over the theology. My Catholic friends disagree with me. I have good Catholic friends who are trying very, very hard to lure me into the Church of Rome. There's something to be said for 2,000 years of tradition, for the liturgy, for the majesty, for the incense, for the rites and rituals. There's something magical. You feel the divine in these churches. Protestant churches over time started stripping themselves of all the trappings. It was just the sermon and the music. And even in some, they got rid of the music, and you sang a cappella. And it should be the words of Scripture that draw you in. I, I think I think that, that was overplay there. I, I do think Catholics, to some degree, have something to say, uh, the mystery and the majesty and, and the ceremony and the rite and the ritual that draws people in. I think that captivates a lot of people. Overwhelmingly, my friends who are Protestant who have converted to Catholicism, and I have many They were drawn in by the liturgy and the rites and the majesty of it, the the, the mystery of it. I'm not here to debate the theology. I'm here to make a different point here. I wanted you to know this is my jumping off point, the Reformation. Something has happened now in this country to people of faith who still predominate in this country. A poll came out last week that showed a majority of Americans still believe we are or should be a Christian nation. That's not Christian nationalism, as, as some of the left would pejoratively say. It's just people in this country believe that we are a Christian nation, uh, that our founders, by and large, some of them were deists for sure, Thomas Jefferson included. But by and large, they believed there was a God and that God was the Christian God. Uh, they they gave um, license to Jews and Muslims and others in this country, but atheists in particular were were an odd phenomenon Uh, Rare was there an atheist at the founding of this country. Most people were churchgoers. But what I find notable now within people who are involved in politics who consider themselves to be of faith, they really do think that they've got to do something. As I'm speaking, you may hear this later, but as I'm speaking, the midterm election has not happened. I don't want you to hear me say you should not go vote. I don't want to be accused of trying to dissuade you from voting with what I'm about to say. But I do want you to understand your voting is not helping God. Your vote does not accomplish God's will. There are a lot of Christians in politics in America today who have come under this belief that they must act on God's behalf or God's will cannot be done. They must go vote to put their candidate in power or God's will cannot be done. Actually, what the Bible says is that God's will is accomplished. You cannot stop God's will from happening. Joe Biden got elected president of the United States because it was God's will. The Bible tells us that our leaders are there because of God's will. Joe Biden, whether you like it or not, is the divinely appointed actor of God's will at this moment. He is our leader in the same way that Peter, the apostle, was telling early Christians to pray for the emperor of Rome. Not pray against him, not pray for protection from him, but pray for him and for his health. And who was that Emperor Nero, who was lighting the streets of Rome at night by dousing Christians nailed to crosses with oil and setting them afire? Nero lit the streets of Rome at night with the bodies of Christians used as torches. And Peter, the apostle, who would be crucified upside down, was telling the early Christians, pray for this man. Pray for his health, pray for his family, pray for his leadership. There are a lot of Christians in America today who are extremely angry. They are angry about the state of the country. They're angry at the state of the culture. They're angry at the politics of the country. They're angry at the other side in politics. They view the other side as their enemy. And in their anger, they have failed to or are having trouble doing that thing that they are required to do. Love their neighbor. Your neighbor does not have to love you back. But God Almighty himself has told you, you have to love your neighbor. Didn't say it would be easy. Sometimes it's pretty freaking hard when your neighbor is... A transgender activist who has progressive signs in their yard, has the in this house we believe in science sign and and all the progressive tropes in their front yard and hates you and and wants nothing to do with you and, and the Bible says you're supposed to love this neighbor. How? Some Christians have rationalized it by, well, I'm going to stand on the street and yell at them all day uh, that they are they are uh, not God's will. They are defying God's ordered creation and shame on them, and they need to repent. It's not really loving your neighbor. That's being a jack wagon, <laughs> watching my words here. Well, I'm going to love them with the hard truth. That's not really loving them. That's a way for you to try to say you're loving them without actually doing so. I want you to know I believe a time is coming in this country sooner rather than later where people of faith are going to have a harder and harder time because a lot of people of faith have decided that they actually are the majority. There's a silent majority. They really are the majority. And historically, that's when people of faith really feel the persecution. When they get a little arrogant, ride a little high in the saddle, think they're really in charge. They lose their humility. They're not very humble. That's when they have literal hell to pay. And I got to tell you, the cure for that is love your neighbor and be active in your community and stop thinking that you must somehow go exercise your will in order for God's will to be accomplished. 505 years ago today, Martin Luther showed up at the front steps of the All Saints Church in Wittenberg, Germany and nailed to the door 95 theses. And one of his chief arguments was that we are saved by faith. If we are saved by faith, there is nothing you can do or say tomorrow that will improve your lot in life other than by putting your faith in God. Your anger and your rage in politics, your passion in voting, your demands that your neighbors conform to your view of morality, none of that matters. What matters is your relationship with the Almighty. And the Almighty does not need you to go vote for him to make his will be done. And you should stop thinking that you are somehow going to go find a political savior. You're not. No savior is going to come for you to save you from what might be coming and from the cultural left. No one is. They will all betray you because they're all sinners just like you and me. So put your faith in God. Be like Martin Luther. 505 years ago today, one man's ideas on a door revolutionized the world. It's a fundamental change for the entire planet, really, when it comes to religion. Fundamentally upheaval around the Western world and then the world globally because one man decided to speak up. And his ideas in the West have settled in for so many of us. Salvation by faith. One man really did change a whole lot of the world and it took a lot of other people with him, but I can tell you this. At the end of the day, as you are worrying about the midterms coming and you're worried about how big the wave will be or how big it won't be or what failures there will be or what can be accomplished or what can't be accomplished or or are we on the brink? Will we go over the cliff? Will we save ourselves from the cliff? Will this be the most important election of the lifetime? Will the next election be the most important election of our lifetimes? Oh, my gosh. What are we going to do? we got to go fight. we got to find the guy who fights. Actually, I've read the end of the book. God's will is going to be done. Don't sweat this. He's got this. So maybe pay attention, but calm down. One of the groups that's helping rally conservatives and provide them intellectual thought and firepower moving forward is Americans for Prosperity. They're not a D.C. think tank. They're a do-think. They go around the country and they get conservative activists. They train them up and they get them go out and do conservatism in the states. They support free people and free markets. They have local chapters around the country where you can go and learn to be a better activist, to show up at your local school board, to show up at your local government meeting, to show up at your state legislature, even to run for office. They can help you. They provide you the intellectual firepower to make sound arguments backed by fact, not emotion. They teach you how to be persuasive, and they are just good conservative people. They want you as part of their group. What you do is go to americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. You show up. They got a local chapter near you, I'm sure. You become a member. You help them grow. You learn to be a better activist. You help advance conservatism. You support free markets and free people around the country. You go to americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. Uh, this, wow. Uh, Joe Morrell is a Democrat in New York's 25th Congressional District. Joe Biden won that seat by 20 points. He's running against Leron Singletary is a former Rochester, uh, police chief. This seat is in the Rochester, New York area. It is a Biden plus 20 seat. The House Majority Pack is having to spend 275000 dollars there. They just dropped money into that race. Uh they should not be dropping money into a D plus 20 seat. They should be spending it elsewhere. My goodness gracious. Um, 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 um wow. This is this is not. Good news for the Democrats. (laughs) Um, Listen, I know there's a lot of news out there. I'm going to continue to follow it. I hope you will subscribe to my show notes. Text DATA to 33777. Uh, Seriously, uh, the early voting numbers are coming in. I've been doing daily analysis on it. I'm going to keep doing that this week so you have some sense of what's going on. Uh, You can't interpret a ton from early voting, but when Republicans are suddenly surging in early voting in ways they never have and Democrats aren't showing up in ways they usually do, you can read stuff into that. I'm doing that text data to 33777. Start getting that information in your inbox every day, and I will talk to you guys tomorrow when the latest round of early voting comes out.